As you all know, I'm Andy. Hey, I am the guy from Costa Rica that moved to Texas. Yes, that's me. Um, but today, I actually have the honor and the pleasure of speaking to you guys on a subject or a book of the Bible, really, which is, is really something that I'm passionate about. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've, I've never actually preached on it. I love it. It's, I call it the book of the ongoing existential crisis. Every time I'm, I'm going through something, I'm like, I need this book. It confronts me. Whenever my heart's not right, I need the book of Ecclesiastes. A lot of people say that it's just a depressive book. Uh, it's not. It's incredibly life-giver, and it's got so much to teach us and so much for us. Uh, especially today. It's the story or the autobiography of Solomon, um, really as he's searching for meaning under the sun. He's searching for everything under the sun, and if anybody can search for it, it's him. He's the guy that had everything. He had it all under the sun, and he searches for everything, and he can't find it. Why can't he find it? First John 2, 16 says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So that's what we're going to get into today. Let me give you this really awesome quote that I love. Ecclesiastes will cut through the shallowness of your soul and leave behind a desperate need for God. Let me read that again. Ecclesiastes will cut through the shallowness of your soul and leave behind a desperate need for God. That's what we want today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you, God, that we got the opportunity to, to be in this place, to come into your presence, God. God, as we were singing today, our hearts are yours. Our hearts are yours. So I pray that you would lead us into your presence, and that you would transform us in that place, God. Not, not by anything I have to say, but primarily by everything you have to say, Jesus. Speak to everyone in this place, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you might have heard of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's a time for everything, right? Time to mourn, time to this, time to everything. Uh, and, or, you might have heard of the time where it says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, right? Or vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And really, um, that's, it's not vanity the way that we understand, understand it today as a superficial thing. It's something deeper, and we're going we're gonna to get a little bit into that. But I want to I start off by reading um, the introduction to the book. So we're in Ecclesiastes 1, and we'll read 1 to 10, 1 to 8, something like that. The words of the teacher, a son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He's saying people come, people go. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. I don't know if you've asked yourself that. I haven't. Um, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come, 
there they will return again. All things are worrisome. No one can, no, more than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear, it's fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So again, this word meaningless, it's a major theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, vanity, what does that word actually mean? It does not mean that there is no meaning in things. That's not what it means. It does not mean that everything is vanity in the sense of the superficial way that we understand vanity. The Hebrew word that is used for this meaningless, it's actually hevel. And hevel means smoke. It's like smoke. The moment when you think you have it, the moment when you think you understand life, the moment when you think you've got meaning and purpose, it'll slip right out of, right out of your hands. You can see smoke, but you can't grab it. So you think it's there, but it's not something you can grasp completely. So it's used 37 times, so it's an important theme. It's important for all of us to know. Um, and I go to Starbucks a lot. I, <laughs> I love coffee. Um, I, don't love, I don't love, love coffee like some people do, but I love coffee, right? And I'll go to Starbucks, right? And every time I go to Starbucks, I'm the kind of person who will like, sit and watch, see the whole menu and see, what am I going to order today? What am I craving today? But then I'll go to Starbucks with somebody that actually, like, they actually like coffee, not like me, like, and they order something that is not on the menu. And you're like, wait, what? And I feel like I knew the whole menu, but this person ordered something, I'm like, what? They order something like upside down keto vanilla caramel macchiato with cold foam. And you're like, how do you even understand that? That's like a whole sentence. How is that coffee? One, one word and you turned it into a whole sentence. I don't get it. And all of a sudden, everything I thought I knew about Starbucks changed. <laughs> really, it did. And that's exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes wants to do. He wants to to take you to a place where everything you thought you knew is no longer the case. Everything your heart in your flesh has been searching for is deconstructed. And he tries to reconstruct it at the end and brings us back to Jesus. Um, this quote by C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... It must mean that we were made for another world. That's intense. And I feel like that represents, like we can all put ourselves in that position. So today we're going to talk about three areas that the book of Ecclesiastes deconstructs. It deconstructs every single area, so like in life. So if you haven't read it, please do. But today we're going to focus on three, and we're going to read a little bit about that. The first one that we're going to go to is status and pleasure. So let's read it. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 to 6, and 9 to 10. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruits, trees in them. I made reservoirs to water, gro to water groves of flourishing trees. Listen to this. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, 
my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Can you believe saying that? I refused myself nothing my eyes desired. No wonder he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. This guy denied himself nothing. Can you imagine that? Let me tell you something a little bit um, about me. I'm married, my beautiful wife, and he, she, would, <laughs> she would hate me if I don't describe her as the beautiful Latina sitting right here. <laughs> um, I, I love her. Um, anyways, I've been married for five months, and I, so I don't know much about marriage. I'm just learning. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, uh, let me tell you what I do know. I, I do know a lot about what it was being single. I moved to the United States by myself, and for four years I was alone living in a different country with no family, so I know a lot about myself. So I've noticed a little bit of the difference in being married and not being married. <laughs> uh, so let me tell you one of the main differences. Um, I go to Target a lot more now. <laughs> so buy a lot of unnecessary bathroom things. Just things to make it look fancy, things to make it look nice that I would never buy. So we, we, we actually found ourselves yesterday in, in Target, and it was so funny because I, we were looking at, at bathroom stuff. Uh, what do you call those? Curtains for the, for the for whatever. You know what I'm talking about, something. And then a couple comes behind us, and they start talking, and, and she's like, and I really wanted to look back and be like super into their conversation, but I didn't. They were talking, and she was like, so, what, how do you like, do you like this one? This one's white, but this other one is plain white. <laughs> and the guy was like, I don't care, whichever. <laughs> I don't care. Let's go. Oh, wait, but do you like this? I don't care. Let's go. Yeah, that one's fine. Let's go. And she just kept going and kept going, and he just like, I just want to leave. And I was like, I really want to look back and like see what they're looking at, but I didn't. But anyways, the thing is, I've had to learn to say no to myself a lot more since I've been married. I'm not going to say that it was the hardest thing in, my, in, in the world, but it's definitely hard. You know, saying no to yourself, I believe it's healthy. And really, if we put it in the context of Solomon saying, I denied myself nothing. I denied myself nothing. Any, no one is better qualified to tell us there's no meaning, there's vanity, there's havel in pleasure than this guy. He's the one that can tell us, and he says, uh, and let's bring it back, Reconstruction, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13. I have titled this my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Uh, yeah. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God. It's the gift of God that you enjoy things. It's not about finding pleasure in everything and being, being all about pleasure, but it's about enjoying the little things in life. It's about enjoying the present. It's about being and enjoying what God has given you. And the second thing 
that we're going to talk about today is righteous retribution. A lot of you might not know what this means, but you know what it means. It's the idea that when you do good, you're going to get good. We've all lived it. We've all, at a part inside of us, we all believe this is true. That if only I prayed more, maybe they would have been healed. If only I prayed more, I would have gotten that job or that relationship. Or if only I prayed more, this would have happened or I wouldn't be in this situation. We all believe it at some point. But let me tell you, Solomon says that's not the case. And really, it's completely contrary to the gospel. Let's read it. Let's read what he says. Ecclesiastes 8, 14. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. I get it. In a perfect world, everything would work this way. You do good, you get good, but we live in a fallen world where there's sin and there's corruption and there's things that happen. And really, if you pray more, there's good things that will happen. But it does not guarantee it. It's just not the way the world in this context under the sun works. So it, it, we get the perfect example in the book of Job. So what is, who is Job? Job is a man who God says is a righteous man. And then you know the rest of the story. He loses everything. Bad things happen to him. So when I say it's contrary to the gospel, I mean if you do good, you get good. That's the opposite of what Jesus came to do. It's, it's the thought that what you think you deserve, you didn't get. You don't get what you deserve. In fact, you get what Jesus deserved when he died on that cross. He gave everything for you. I know we're, we're all sinful. But Jesus paid it all and he gave us what we don't deserve. But at the end of the day, let's look at Solomon's conclusion. It says, it will be better for those who fear God. Ecclesiastes 8.12 Although the wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. So what are we saying? What are we saying? We don't get good by doing good. Ultimately, if we believe in Jesus, we get Jesus. That's way more important than getting good right? Like, we get Jesus. That's who we have. And the third thing that we're going we're gonna to talk about today is money. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 11. Whoever loves money never has enough. <laughs> How many of you have said, if I only had a little more money? <laughs> Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Let me put this in context. Who is talking to you today from this verse? This is one of the richest 
men to ever live on the face of the earth. It is said that in his kingdom, gold became a common rock. Imagine just walking and there's gold just right around there, just hanging out. It's to today, it's $2.2 trillion. That's with a T, trillion dollars. This is an insane amount of money. If you love money and you hear this, you want to listen to this guy. This guy made money and he's saying there is no purpose behind the money in itself. Can you believe this guy saying, like, I've got pleasure, I've got everything I want, I've got all the money, there's no purpose in it. There's no purpose in it. Let me tell you a little bit about my journey um, with this. I know that money has been a thing that, like, I've struggled with. Um, let me tell you about my, my previous purpose in life, okay? I, when I was in Costa Rica and I studied engineering, I had a plan, and it was simple. This was my plan. I'm going to study engineering. I'm going to build businesses. I'm going to get rich. I'll retire, and I'll work in ministry. Boom. Easy peasy. And in the process of this, I got confronted by God, and he, he really, I believe he called me to move to the United States, to take everything I had saved up during the times when I studied engineering and worked, um, to take all of my savings and spend it in college tuition, <laughs> right? So I moved to the United States, and, and, and really, the thing that I want to tell you guys today, my life here in the United States has been a lot harder than it would have been in Costa Rica. It's been a lot harder. I've had to fight preconceived notions. There was a point during my master's where I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to continue. There's just no way I'm going to be able to, to do another semester. I don't have the money. I, I ran out. And, and I was seriously praying and considering, God, do I have to move back? And I applied for a job, and they denied me because of my immigration status. Simply because of my immigration, because I was an international student. Um, and, and there's more to that, but like, really, it's been, it's been tough. I've had to change cars because they all, they all die. I'm like, what? Like, it, it's been hard to be denied for an for a apartment complex because I have no credit history. Why would I have credit history? I'm moving from another place. I guess they don't consider that. But at the end of the day, I would do it all over again. You know, it's been hard. It's been tough. I've had to fight a lot of stereotypes that people place on me just simply because of where I come from. But at the end of the day, it was worth it. I would do it all over again. Why? Because there was purpose in it, because I was obeying God in it. And let me tell you this, it's not that pleasure is wrong. It's not that money is wrong. It's not that when you get good for something good that you do, you're doing like it's wrong. It's not. It's really not. It's just that there is no purpose in it by itself under the sun. Let me see what Ecclesi let us see what Ecclesiastes 5:18 says. This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their work under the sun. 
during the few days that life has given them. For it is better for them, for that is the gift of God, for that is their lot. So what what does Solomon conclude? He concludes that there are good things under the sun, but at the end of the day, they're like smoke. At the end of the day, the moment you try to grab them, they're gone. Listen to the ending of Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It says, now that all has been heard. (laughs) Imagine Solomon saying that. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. So I know you all love Texas. (laughs) I know you all are Texas forever, right? You guys love it. I know people that move to Texas and they become Texans, right? Um, But the question I get asked, I I have a picture for you, and the question I get asked the most since I moved to the United States is what are you doing here? What are you doing here? See, I come from a country where it's, it's almost paradise. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It's beautiful over there. And people ask me all the time, what in the world are you doing here? In fact, Costa Rica is the only country in the world that has more expats living in Costa Rica than Costa Ricans here. Only country in the world. Why? Because nobody wants to leave it. And honestly, and I don't know if you guys have the picture, um, but check it out. Nice little beach in Costa Rica. Normally, most beaches are, you got the forest right there, and then there's the beach. It's it's awesome. Um, Anyways, here's what I can tell you. Living in Costa Rica or living in the United States, living in paradise or not, it's meaningless. There's no meaning in it. I love Costa Rica. I could live there. I could go back tomorrow. If I get deported, you guys know where you'll find me. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, the point is, there is no meaning. There is, it's hevel under the sun. Okay, it's, it's like smoke. Now, it's, uh, in, in Solomon's understanding, in his experiment, in his search, he's called the collector of meaning. He finds no meaning under the sun because there was no meaning under the sun until God the Son came down to earth into our reality, and he came under the sun, literally. So when Solomon says, knowledge is vanity and it is pointless, Jesus says, knowing me is a treasure that brings life. When, our, when Solomon says, your desires will never be fulfilled, there's no purpose in them, Jesus says, I fulfill all of your desires. When Solomon says, riches will never satisfy you, Are we good? Riches will never satisfy you. Jesus says, I will bring true satisfaction, and I am the God who provides. Solomon says, all your work is in vain. There's no purpose in it. But Jesus says, I give you a purpose. Solomon says, the righteous and the wicked, good or bad, the foolish, they all die. We're all going to the same place anyways. But Jesus says that in me, you will have life 
and life abundantly. So that's what I want you to take today. I want you to consider the fact that under the sun, there is no meaning. Whatever you're chasing, whatever you say in your heart, this is what I want. Ask yourself, what do I really want in life? Where do I want to be at the end? And then bring Jesus into the equation and, and make God give purpose to that. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having a business. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But it'll leave you unsatisfied if you don't bring Jesus in.